Okay, so today we're gonna, we're gonna learn about the new book, The Richest Man in the Babylon by George S. Classon. So episode number one, The Man Who Desire Gold. Banzir, the chariot builder of Babylon, was thoroughly discouraged from his seat upon the low wall surrounding his property. He gazed sadly at his simple home and the open workshop in which stood a partially completed chariot. His wife frequently appeared at the open door. Her furtive glance in her in his direction remem- reminded him that the meal bag was almost empty and he should be at work finishing the chariot. Hammering and hewing, polishing and painting, stretching out the leader, the ladder over the wheel rims, preparing it for the delivery so he could collect from his wealthy customer. Nevertheless, his fat muscular body sat stolidly upon the wall. His slow mind was struggling patiently with a problem for which he could not find no answer. The hot tropical sun, so typically of this valley of the Euphrates beat down upon him mercilessly. Beads of perspiration formed upon his brow trickled down unnoticed to lose themselves in a hairy jungle on his chest. Beyond his home toward the high terrace walls surrounding the king's palace, nearby cleaving, cleaving the blue heavens was the painted tower of the Temple of Bell. In the shadow of such grandeur was his simple home and many others far less neat and well cared for. Babylon was like this, a mixture of grandeur and squalor, of dazzling wealth and direst poverty, crowded together without plan or system within the protecting walls of the city. Behind him had he cared to turn and look, the noisy chariots of the rich jostled and crowded aside the sun dealt tradesmen, as well as the barefooted beggars. Even the rich were forced to turn into the gutters to clear the way for the long lines of slave water carriers. On the king's business, each bearing a heavy goatskin of water to be poured upon the hanging gardens, Bansir was too engrossed in his own problem to hear or heed the confused hubbub of the busy city. It was the unexpected turnings of the steerings from a familiar lyre that arose him from his reverie. He turned and looked into the sensitive, smiling face of his best friend, Kobe, the musician. May the God bless David a great liberality, my God friend, my good friend, began Kobe with an elaborate salute. Yet, it does appear that they have already been so generous thou needest not to labor. I rejoice with they in their good fortune, more I could even share it with they. Pray from thy purse which must be bulging, else thou wouldst be busy in yon shop. Extract but two humble shekels and lend them to me, until after the nobles fish this night. Thou wilt not miss them, are they are returned. If I did have two shekels, Bansir responded gloomily, to no one could I lend them, not even to you, my best friends, for they would be my fortune, my entire fortune. No one lent his entire fortune, not even his best friend. What? exclaimed Kobe with genuine surprise. Thou hast not sickled in the purse, yet sit like a statue upon a wall. Why not complete that chariot? How else canst thou provide for the noble appetite? This not like thee, my friend. 
Where is the endless energy? Doing something distress they. Have the gods brought to this travel? A torment from the gods is this must be, Bansir agreed. It began with a dream, a senseless dream, in which I thought I was a man of means. From a bell hung a handsome purse, heavy with coins. There were sickles which I cast with careless freedoms to the beggar. There were pieces of silver with which I did buy finery for my wife and whatever I did desire for myself. There were pieces of gold which made me feel azure for the future and unafraid to spend the silver. A glorious feeling of contentment was within me. You would not have known me for thy hard-working friend, nor would have known my wife. So free from wrinkles was her face and shining with happiness. She was again the smiling maiden of our early married days. A pleasant dream, indeed, commented Kobe. But why should such pleasant feeling as it arose turn day into a glum statue upon the wall? Why, indeed? Because when I woke and remember how empty was my purse, a feeling of rebellion swept over me. Let us talk it over together. For as the sailors do say, we ride in the same boat, we too. As youngsters, we went together to the priest to learn wisdom. As young men, we shared each other's pleasure. As grown men, we have always been close together. We have been contented subjects of our kind. We have been satisfied to work long hours and spend our earnings freely. We have earned much coin in the years that have passed. Yet to know the joys that had come from wealth, we must dream about them. Bah! Are we more than a dumb ship? We live in the richest city on all the world. The travelers do say none equals in it wealth. About us is much display of wealth, but of it we ourselves have not. After half a lifetime of hard labor, thou, my best of friends, has an empty purse and says to me, May I borrow such a trifle as two seconds until after the noblesman face this night? Then what do I reply? Do I say, Here is my purse, it contains with I gladly share? No, I admit that my purse is empty as thin. What is the matter? Why cannot we acquire silver and gold, more than enough for food and robes? Consider also our son, Banzir continued. Are they not following in the doorstep, footstep of their fathers? Need they and their families and their sons and their sons' family live all their lives in the midst of such treasures of gold? And yet, like us, be content to banquet upon so God's milk and porridge. Never in all years of our friendship didst thou talk like this before. Bansir. Kobe was puzzled. Never in all those years did I think like this before. From early down until darkness stopped me, I had labored to build the finest chariots any man could make. Soft-heartedly hoping someday the gods would recognize my worthy deeds and bestow upon me great prosperity. This they have never done at last, I realize this, they will never do. Therefore, I, my heart is sad. I wish to do be a man of goods. I wish to own lands and cattle, to have fine robes and coins in my purse. I am willing to work for these things with all the strength in my back, with all the skills in my head, with all the cunnings in my mind. But I do wish my labors to be fairly rewarded. What is the matter result with us? Again, I ask you, why cannot we have our just share of good things so plentiful for those who have the gold with which to buy them? 
Would I know my answer? Kobe replied. No better man, thou am satisfied. My earnings from my lair are gone quickly. Often must I plan and scheme that my family must be not hungry. Also within my breast is a deep longing for a lair large enough that it may truly sing the strains of music that do search through my mind. With such an instrument could I make music finer than even the king has heard before. Such a lair thou should have. No mean old Babylon could make it sing more sweetly, could make it sing so sweetly, not only the king, but the god themselves would be delighted. But how mayest thou secure it? While we both of us are poor as the king's slave. Listen to the bell, here they come. He pointed to the long column of half-naked, sweating water bearers plodding laboriously, plodding labor, laboriously. <laughs> The pronunciation of this is really hard for me. Plodding laboriously up the narrow streets from the river. Five abreast they march, each band under a heavy goatskin of water. A fine figure of man, he who don't let them. Kobe indicated the wearer of the bell, who marched in front of without a lord. A prominent man in his own country. It's easy to see. There are many good figures in the line, Bansir agreed. As good men as we. Tall blonde men from the north, laughing black men from the south, little brown men from the nearer country, all marching together from rivers to the gardens, back and forth, day after day, year after year. Now of happiness to look forward to. Beds of straw upon which to sleep hard gain for rich to eat. Pity the poor broads, Kobe. Pity them I do, yet thou dost make me see how little better off we are. Free mentored we call ourselves. That is truth, Kobe. Unpleasant thou thoughts thou it be. We do not wish to go on year after year living slavish life, walking, 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 getting nowhere. Might we not find out how others acquire gold do as we they do? Kobe inquired. Perhaps there is some secret we might learn if we but south from those who know, replied Bansir thoughtfully. This very day, suggested Kobe, I did pass our old friend Arkar, riding in the golden chariot. This I will say, he did not look over my humble head as many in his stations might consider his right. Instead, he did wave his hand that all onlookers might see him pay greetings and bestow smiles of the friendship upon Kobe, the musician. He is claimed to be the richest man in all the Babylon, Bansar mused. So rich the king is said to seek his golden edge in affairs of the treasury. Kobe replied, So rich Bansir interrupted, I fear if I should meet him in the darkness of night, I should lay my hands upon his fat wallet. Nonsense, reproved Kobe. A man's wealth is not in the purse he carries. A fat purse quickly impetes if there's be no gold stream to be refilled. Arkad has an income that constantly keeps his purse full, no matter how liberally he spends. Income that is the thing, ejaculated Bansir. I wish an income that will keep flowing into my purse, whether I sit upon the wall or travel to war far lands. Arkad must know how a man can take income off for himself. Though suppose it is something he could make clear to mine as, as slow as mine. Methinks he did 
This is knowledge to his son. Namasir Kobiri responded. Did he not go to Nivanan and so it told at the inn? Become without aid for his father, one of the richest men in the city. Kobi thou bringest to me a rare thought, a new light gleam in Bansir's eyes. It caused nothing to ask wise advice from a good friend and Arkad was always dead. Never mind thought our purses be empty as the falcon's nest of a year ago. Let that not detain us. We are weary of being without gold in the midst of plenty. We wish to become men of means. Come, let us go to Arkad and ask how we also may acquire income for ourselves. Thou speakest with true inspiration, Bansir. Thou Brayden bringeth to my mind a new understanding. Thou make me to realize the reason why we have never found any measure of wealth. We never sowed it. Thou hast labored patiently to build the stanchest chariots in Babylon. To that purpose was devoted your best endeavors. Therefore added, thou didst succeed. I strove to become a skillful lyre player, and added, I did succeed. In those things toward which we exerted our best endeavors, we succeeded. The gods we content to let us continue this. Now at last we see a light bright like that from the rising sun. It bidden us to learn more than we may prosper more. With a new understanding, we shall find honorable ways to accomplish our desire. Let us go to Arcade this every day, Bansir argued. Also let us ask other friends of our boyhood days. We have far known better than ourselves to join us that day, to measure in his wisdom. Thou wert art thus thoughtful for thy friends. Bansir therefore hast thou many friends. It shall be thou sayest, we got this day and take them with us. So now about the chapter 2, about the richest man in the Babylon. In old Babylon, there once lived a certain man rich named Arkad. Far and wide, he was famed for his great wealth. Also, he famed for his liberal liberality. He was generous in his charities. He was generous with his family. He was liberal in his own expenses. But nevertheless, each year his wealth increased more rapidly than he spent it. And there were certain friends of younger days who came to him and said, You, Arkad, are more fortunate than we. You have become the richest man in the Babylon while we struggle for existence. You can wear the finest garments and you can enjoy the rarest food, while we must be content if we can clothe our families in raiment and that is presentable and feed them as best we can. Yet once we are equal, we studied under the same master, we played in the same games and in neither the studies nor the game did you outshine us, and in the years since, you have been no more an honorable citizen than we, nor have you worked harder more faithfully insofar as we can judge. Why then should a fickle fate single you out to enjoy all the good things of life and ignore us who are equally deserving? Thereupon Arkad remonstrated with them, saying, If you have not acquired more than a bare existence in the years since we were youths, it is because you either have failed to learn the laws that govern the building of wealth, or else you do not observe them. Fickle filth is a vicious goddess who brings no permanent good to anyone. On the contrary, she brings ruin to almost every man upon whom she showers an unearned gold. She makes wanton spenders who soon dissipate 
all they receive and are left beset by overwhelming appetites and desires they have not the ability to gratify. Yet others whom she favors become misers and hoard their wealth, fearing to spend what they have, knowing they do not possess the ability to replace it. The father are the best by fear of robots and doom themselves to lips the empty lips the to lips of emptiness and secret misery. Others there probably are who can take unearned gold and add to it and continue to be happy and contented citizens. But so few are they, I know of them, but by her say, think you of men who have inherited sudden wealth and see if these things are not so. His friend admitted that of the men they knew who had inherited wealth, these words were true, and they besought him to explain to them how he had become possessed of so much prosperity. So he continued, In my youth I looked upon me and saw all the good things there were to bring happiness and contentment. And I realized that wealth increased the potency of all this. Wealth is power. With wealth, many things are possible. One may ornament the home with the riches of furnishings. One may sail the distant sea. One may feast on the delicacies of far lands. One may buy the ornaments of gold workers and the stone polishers. One may even build mighty temples for the gods. One may do all these things and many others in which there is delight for sense and gratifications for the soul. And when I realized all this, I decided to myself that I would claim my share of good things of life. I would not be one of those who stand afar off, enviously watching others enjoy. I would not be content to clothe myself in the cheapest women that look respectable. I would not be satisfied with the lot of poor men. On the contrary, I would make myself a guest at this banquet of good things. Being, as you know, the son of humble merchant, one of the large family with no hope of an inheritance, and not being endowed as you have so frankly said, with superior powers or wisdom, I decided that I was to achieve what I desire, time and study would be required. As for time, all men's have in abundance. You, each of you have let sleep by a sufficient time to have made yourself wealthy, yet you admit it. You have nothing to show except your good families of which you can justly prove. As for study, did not our wise teacher teach us that learning was two kinds, the one kind being the things we learned and knew, and the other being the training that taught us how to find out what we did not know. Therefore did I decide to find out how one might accumulate wealth and when I have found out to make this my tax and do it well, for is it not wise that we should enjoy while we dwell in the brightness of the sunset. For sorrows enough shall descend upon us when we depart for the darkness of the wall of spirit. I found employment as a script in the hall of records, and long hours each day I labored upon the clay tablets. Week after week and month after month I labored, yet for my twenty-four earrings I had not to sew. Food and clothing and penance to the goods and other things of which I could remember not worth, absorbed all my earnings, but my determination did not leave me. And one day, Algamis the money lender came to the house of the city master and ordered a copy of the ninth law, and he said to me, I must have this in two days, and if the tax is done bad that time, two coppers will I give to thee. So I labored hard, but the law was along, and when Algamis returned the tax was unfinished, he was angry and had I been his slave, 
He could have been beaten me, but knowing the city master would not permit him to injure me, I was unafraid, so I asked him, Alchemist, you are a very rich man. Tell me how may also I become rich, and all night I'll craft upon the day, and when the sun rises, it shall be completed. He smiled at me and replied, You are a forward nerve, but we will call it a bargain. All that night I craft, tore my back, paint, and the smell of the wick made my head edge, until my eyes would hardly see. But when we returned at sunup, the tablets were complete. complete. Now I said, tell me what you promise. You have fulfilled your part of our bargain, my son. He said to me kindly, and I am ready to fulfill mine. I will tell you these things you wish to know, because I am becoming an old man, and old tongue loves to wake. And when youth comes to age for advice, he, re he receives the wisdoms of ears. But too often does youth think that age knows only the wisdom of days that are gone and therefore profits not. But remember this, the sun that shines today is the sun that shone when my father was born, and will still be shining when the last grandchild shall be passed into the darkness. The thoughts of youth, he continued, are bright like that shine forth like the meteors that of make brilliance the sky. But the wisdom of my age, of the age is like the fixed star that shines so unchanged that the sailor may depend upon them to steer his course. Mark you well as my words, for if you do not want you to fail to grasp the truth that I will tell you, and you will think that your night's walk has been in vain. Then he looked at me, sweetly from under his shaggy brows and said in a low forceful tone, I found the road to wealth when I decided that a part of all Ion was mine to keep, and so will you. Then he continued to look at me with a glance that I thought that I could feel pierce me but said no more. Is that all? I asked. That was sufficient to change the heart of a sheep herder into the heart of a moneylender, he replied. But all I earned is to keep it, is it not? I demanded. Far from it, he replied. Do you not pay the garment maker? Do you not pay the sandal maker? Do you not pay for the things you eat? Can you live in Babylon without spending? What have you to show for your earnings of the past month? What for the past year? Fool! You pay to everyone but yourself. Do let you labor for others, as well as be slave and work for what? Your master gives you to eat and wear. If you did keep for yourself one-tenth of all you earned, how much would you make in ten years? My knowledge of the numbers did not forsake me, and I answered, As much as I learned in one year, you speak but half the truth, he retorted. Every gold piece you save is a slave to work for you. Every copper it earns is it child that also can earn for you. If you could become wealthy then what you must have earned, and its children must earn that all may keep to give you the abundance you crave. You think I cheat you for long night walks, he continued, but I'm paying you a thousand times over if you have the intelligence to grasp the truth I offer you. A part of all you earn is you, yours to keep. It should not be less than a tenth no matter how little you earn. It can be as much as more you can afford. Pay yourself first. Do not buy from the clothes maker and the sandal maker more than you can pay out of the rest and still have enough for food and charity and penance to the God. Wealth like a tree 
grow from your tiny seeds. The first copper you save is the seed from which your tree of wealth shall grow. The sooner you plant that seeds, the sooner shall the tree grow. And the faith, more faithfully you nourish and water that tree with consistent savings, the sooner may you ask back in contentment beneath its shade. So saying, he shook his tablet and went away. I thought much about what he could say to me, and it seemed reasonable. So I decided that I would try it. Each time I was paid, I took one from each ten piece of copper and hide it away. And strange as it may seem, I was no shorter of funds than before. I noticed little difference as I managed to get along without it. But often I was tempted as my board hoard began to grow to spend it from some of the good things the margin displayed, brought by candles and see from the lands of the Phoenicians, but I wisely refrained. A twelfth month after Algamis had gone, he again returned and said to me, Son, have you paid to yourself not less than one-tenth of all you earned for the past years? I answered proudly, Yes, master, I have. That is good. He answered, beaming upon me. And what have you done with it? I have given it to Ajmer, the brickmaker, who told me he was traveling over the Farsis and in Tyre he would buy me for the rare jewels of the Phoenicians. When he returned, we shall see this at, sell this at high price and divide their earnings. Every fool must learn, he growled. But why trust the knowledge of a brickmaster's about jewels? Would you go to the breakmaker break maker to inquire about the stars? No, by my tannic. You would go to the astrologers if you have power to think. Your savings are gone, youth. You have jerked your wealth tree up by the roots. But plant another. Try again. And next time, if you had advice about jewels, go to the jewel marker, merchant. If you, if you would know the truth about sheep, go to the herdsman. Advice is one thing that is freely given away. But watch that you take only what is worth having. He who takes advice from his savings from one who is inexperienced in such matter shall pay with his savings for proving the falsity of their opinions. Saying this, he went away, and it was, he said, For the Phoenicians are scoundrels, and sold to Ajmer worthless bits of glass that looks like gems. But as Algemis had bid me, I again saved each tenth copper, for now I had confirmed for now I had formed the habits and it was no longer difficult. Again twelve months later, Algemis came to the room of the scribe and addressed me. What progress have you made since last I saw you? I have paid myself faithfully, I replied, and my savings I have entrusted to Agir, the shield maker, to buy bronze and each four months he does pay me the rental. This is good. And what do you do with the rental? I do have a great face with honey and fine wine and spice cake. Also I bought me a scarlet tunic and some days I shall buy me a young ass upon which to ride. To which Algemis love. You do eat the children of your savings. Then how do you expect to work for them? And how can they have children that will work for you? First they get they an army of golden slaves and then many a rich banquet may enjoy without regret. So saying, he again went away, nor did I again see him for two years. When he once more returned and his face was full of deep lines and his eyes dropped for he was becoming a very old man. And he asked to me again, Arkad, hast thou yet achieved the wealth thou dream of? And I answered, Not yet, all the desire 
all that I deserve, but some I have eat and earn more and earning more and more again. And do you still take the advice of the brick makers about brick making? They give good advice, I retorted. Arkad, he continued. You have learned your lesson well. You first learned to live upon less than you could earn. Next, you learned to seek advice from those who were competent through their own experience to give it. And lastly, you have learned to make gold work for you. You have taught yourself how to acquire money, how to keep it and how to use it. Therefore, you are competent in a responsible position. I am becoming an old man. My son thinks only of spending and giving no thoughts to earning. My interests are great and I fear too much for me to look after. If you will go to Nippur and look after my lands there, I shall make you my partner and you shall share in my instead. So I went to Nippur and took charge of his holdings, which were large, and because I was full of ambitions and because I had mastered the three laws of successfully handling wealth, I was enabled to increase greatly the value of his properties. So I prospered much, and when the spirit of Algamis departed for the spares of darkness, I did share in his states as he had arranged under the law. So spake Arkad, and when he had finished his tale, one of his friends said, You were indeed fortunate that Algamis made of you and hire. Fortunate only in that I had the desire to prosper, before I first met him. For four years did I not prove my definiteness of purpose by keeping one tenth of all I earned. Would you call a fisherman lucky for years so that so study the habits of the fish that with which changing wind, changing wind, he could cast his nets about them. Opportunity is a haughty goddess who wastes no time with those who are unprepared. You have strong willpower to keep on after you lost your first year's saving. You were unusual in that way, spoke up another. Willpower retorted Arkett. What nonsense. Do you think willpower gives a man the strength to leave a burden the camel cannot carry or to draw a lot the oxygen cannot budge? Willpower is but the unflinching purpose to carry a tax you set for yourself to fulfill man. If I set for myself a tax, be it ever so trifling, I shall see it through. How else shall I have confidence in myself to do more important things? Should I say to myself for a hundred years as I walk across the bridge into the city, I will pick from the road a pebble and cast it into the stream. I would do it. If on the seventh day I pass without remembering, I would not say to myself, Tomorrow I will cast two pebbles which will do as well. Instead, I would retrace my steps and cast the pebble. Nor on the twentieth day would I say to myself, Arkad, this is useless. What does it avail to cast you pebble every day? Throw it in a handful and be done with it. No, I would say that nor do it. When I set a tax for myself, I complete it. Therefore, I am grateful for not to start difficult and impractical tax because I love laser. And then another friend spoke up and said, If what you have tell is true and it does seem as you have said reasonable, then being so simple, if all men did it, there would not be enough wealth to go, go around. Wealth grows wherever man exerts energy, Arkad replied. If a rich man builds a new place in the goals, he pays out gone. No, the brick maker has part of it and the laborer has part of it and the artist has a part of it and everyone who labors upon the house as part of it. Yet when the palace is completed, 
Is it not worth at all cost? And in the ground upon which stands not worth more because it is there. And in the ground that adjoins it not worth more because it is there. Wealth grows in a magic ways. No man can foresee the limit of it. Have not the Phoenicians built great cities on barren coasts with the wealth that comes from the ships of commerce on the seas. What then do you advise us to do that we also may become rich? Ask still another of his friend. The years have passed and we are no longer young men and we have nothing to put by. I advise that you take the advice of alchemists and say to yourself, A part of all I earn is to mine to keep. Say it in the morning when you first arise. Say it in the noon. Say it at night. Say each hour of every day. Say it yourself until the walls stand out like letters of fire across the sky. Impress yourself with the idea. Fill yourself with the thoughts. Then take whatever person seems wise. Let it be not less than one ten and laid by. Arrange your other expenditures. Do it this if necessary. But lay by that person's first. Soon you will realize that what a rich feeling it is to own a treasure upon which you have alone claim. And as it grows, it will stimulate you. A new joy of life will thrill you. Greater efforts will come to you to earn more. For your increased earnings will not be the same percentage. Be also yours to keep. Then learn to make your treasure work for you. Make it your slave. Make it children and children's children work for you. Ensure an income for your dear future. Look thou at the age and forget not that in the days to come thou also will be numbered among them. Therefore invest the treasures with greatest cautions that it is not lost. Unusurious rates of rates are deceitful sirens that sing but to lure the unwary upon the rocks of loss and remorse. Provides also that thy family may not want should the gods call thee to their realms. For such protection, it is always possible to make provisions with small payment at regular intervals. Therefore, the provident man delays not in expectations of a large sum becoming available for such a wise purpose. Counsel with wise men. Seek the advice of men whose daily work is handling money. Let them save you from such an error as I made myself in entrusting my money to the judgment of Ajmer, the brickmaker. A small return and a safe one is far more desirable than risks. Enjoy life while you are here. Do not overstrain or try to save too much. If one tenth of all you earn is as much as you can comfortably keep, be content to keep this person. Live otherwise according to your income and let not yourself get niggardly and afraid to spend. Life is good and life is rich with things worthwhile and things to enjoy. His friend thanked him and went away. Some were silent because they had no imagination and could not understand. Some were sarcastic because they thought that one so rich should divide with all friends not so fortunate. But some had in their eyes a new light. They realized that alchemists have come back each time to the room of the scribes because he was watching a man walk his way out of darkness into light. When that man had found the light, a place awaited him. No one could feel that place until he had for himself worked out his own understanding until he was ready for the opportunity. These latter were the ones who in the following years frequently revisited, revisited Arkad, who received them gladly. He counseled them with them and gave them freely of his wisdom, as men of both experience are always too glad to know. And he assisted them into so investing their savings that it would bring in a good interest 
with safety and would neither be lost nor entangled in the investment that paid no dividends. The turning point in this man's life came upon that day when they realized that truth had to come from Algamis to Arkad and from Arkad to them. A part of all you own is yours to keep.